morning. morning. I'm Russ, and this is my wife, Joyce. And uh, Brother Ben asked us to share this morning on uh, the season that we find ourselves in in our life. And I think there's some more people coming up and doing the same. So uh, let me get something here. <laughs> this is an indication of my season in life. <laughs> When I think of the seasons of life, I compare them to the seasons of nature, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Because I've ex experienced the spring and summer of life, I'm guessing I'm somewhere between autumn and winter. Spring is when new leaves grow, just like the spring of life when there's much growth and development. Then summer is when the weather's sunniest and everyone is active and running around, which reminds me of the summer of life when a person is young and bright, and he or she is most physically active and productive with work, family, and establishing themselves in the world. But I am 69 and past my most physically active years. My autumn probably started when I was around 50. Just like a person notices the faint reds and yellows in the trees in the beginning of October that indicates approaching fall, there were little signs of my autumn starting. It was about this time my oldest son, Paul, who was 14, beat me in a foot race. I couldn't believe it, so I raced him again and tried harder. I still lost. My man pride got a dent in it. I look back and think that it was an intersection of Paul's spring and my autumn. Other indicators were very gradual, involved things like doctor's visits, supplements, that kind of stuff. All joking aside, autumn is an awareness that we've passed the midpoint and we've lived more of our lives than what's left to live. We are in the third quarter of a fourth quarter football game, or maybe the beginning of the fourth quarter. But don't think this second half of life is pessimistic or gloomy. Not at all. I'm enjoying the fall season of, li of my life. I will try to describe what this season of life is like for me. Most of all, I had more time than I ever had. And because it was in short supply earlier in my adult life, I appreciate it so much more. I retri retired three years ago from my job, and instead of a daily work schedule, Joyce and I have more of a weekly rhythm of activities and responsibilities. Certain things on certain days, Church on Sundays, volleyball on Mondays, celebrate recovery on Tuesdays, see our step study on Thursday, and babysitting certain days or nights. We travel to see our other three kids that live out of state usually every few months. Both Joyce and I stay active taking care of our farm, riding horses, intermittently exercising, and being grandparents to our eight, eight grandkids. We occasionally take vacation trips, though it seems we don't have much time for that. As our parents have become older in their 90s, uh, we have had the privilege of starting to take care of them in the winter of their lives. We have learned that it's common for people in our season that we find ourselves in. If I had to pick one word that would describe this season of life for me, it would be acceptance. I feel as though I have amassed experiences, some good, some bad, gleaned ha-ha moments, and gained wisdom. 
the grudges, insecurities, people-pleasing, and social comparisons that were part of my spring and summer have just seemed to fall away. I see this as attaining something in life I didn't have earlier on, and I'll call this something acceptance. I sometimes reflect on how it is God who redeems and salvages my many failures and how God has met me in those places, how he's drawn me close and helped me stand tall. In past seasons, I think it was me who felt responsible to determine who I was, what roles and image I needed to take in life, and any success in those roles. Though I wasn't a Christian until I was 41, it wasn't until my 50s that I began to let go of all those things I thought I was responsible to control. I've gradually let go and in that process attained a greater acceptance. I've accepted my past, accepted the future God has for me and my family, accepted who God made me to be, and accepted the people around me. Because of this acceptance, I call this season a, a season of acceptance, and Joyce and I have been able to live day to day in greater enjoyment. Thank you. Okay, mine is just large print one. One page. <laughs> when, when Russ was typing his, I kept saying, do you want me to time that? <laughs> okay, so Brother Ben asked us to describe what season of life we're in in a word. And I picked two words, fun and relaxing. And I guess the relaxing part kind of ties in with acceptance. Um, I chose these two words because many of, my, of our responsibilities have ended. Russ is retired. I'm no longer homeschooling and raising four children. We've sold our Angus herd, and when a tree falls on a fence line, I just think, well, look at that. <laughs> We're still quite busy, but there's a relaxed feeling in the air. We've faced some big hurdles, but have learned that God can handle them all if we give them to him, take our hands off the problem, and go about enjoying our lives while he does the heavy lifting. <clears throat> I'm no longer a coach or even a teammate to our grown children, but have moved into the role of a cheerleader celebrating their victories, accomplishments, and visions. It's a wonderful place to no longer be responsible, but to enjoy the fruit of many years of child rearing. You may or may not know that we help run the Celebrate Recovery Program here at Bethel. Both of us have grown so much through this ministry, which has helped us to understand and accept each other's peculiarities and enjoy our differences. This understanding is spread out into all our relationships and given us a harvest of peace. Although all the other phases of our lives have had joys and goodnesses. This time is just as enjoyable. Thank you. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. So I can tell by the prepared speech, you, you guys do have more time than I have. So <laughs> no, so my name is Thomas Nays. I know many of you, most of you in here. And uh, when Ben asked, he texted myself and my wife, um, about the season of life we're in. And it was kind of unique because I overthink everything. And I was actually in Springfield, Missouri. That's where I'm working and Lindsay was at home. And I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's kind of neat that he's doing this. And so I put a lot of time into the words for myself to start and it was observing and gathering the season that I'm in. So I recently, my clock ticked to 40 years old. And um, that's unique for me because I've always had an energy level of like a 16 year old and I still have it, but things are starting to slow down and pop and crack and that. 
But the observing part of my life right now is I'm observing the men that are in the next stage I will be in. And a lot of them like Steve Reed and Russ Eves, you guys are here, Bob Rapold. There's others in here, I'm sure, that I watch. What I'm observing is um, the way their lives are at this moment. Do I want to be at that point in my life when I get into my 50s and 60s, or do I not want to be? And by surrounding myself with these men and these experiences, like through Sunday school, uh, Brother Steve will talk about his successes and his failures. Well, I observe those, and I'm like, okay, I like that. I, I wouldn't do that, but this is the outcomes. Much like I feel blessed when I was a young man, uh, preteen almost, and my grandfather could see the path that I was going down. My grandfather I've talked about that I was blessed to lead to salvation at 82 years old. He said, Tommy, you should, you should join the military. And as a kid, I thought that was silly. But he was very honest with me, and he was like, you know, the path you're going down is going to lead to this and this and this. And in his mind, me going to the military was about the only way to break that cycle in my family. I talk about the men in this church that I observe, but I also observe my father, who was one of those patterns my grandpa was hoping to break. Because if I would have went down that initial path, I probably wouldn't have the same life that I have right now. And although my father now is 63, he is finally coming around. Well, I've watched those mistakes that he made and just observing and trying to see what my next 10 to 20 years is going to be. Um, gathering. Gathering is a, a neat word for me because to me it's kind of the same, of, same as observing. But the gathering part is the notes I keep, the ones I put in my back pocket. The, the times that I, I post little quips on Facebook, and one of the ones I did a month or two ago is I was like, when is the last piggyback ride? When is the last can I sleep in bed with you? When is the last fill in the blank with my children? I'm gathering these moments with my family that are fleeting. Uh, you know, I'm getting the, the, the white hair on the sides. I get my daughter is looking me in the eyes. My son is looking at my bald spots. Um, <laughs> I realize that these moments are going by so fast, so I'm gathering memories, which is very important to me. Um, I'm gathering knowledge, trying to gather as much knowledge as I can. Again, I'm at a stage in my life, in my career, that I'm, in essence, gathering finances. I'm trying to do the most I can at this age that I feel about 18 now, trapped in a 40-year-old body. But I'm doing as much as I can because I know those moments and those strengths and those abilities are going to go away in the next 15, 20 years. Um, do I invest in a piece of land? Do I put an addition on my house? Do I do these little things that I do now, again, will affect me when I'm in my 50s and 60s. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm gathering memories. Lindsay, on the other hand, uh, she's not here this morning. Partly, she will be in second service, partly for her word, transition. So Lindsay um, has been with me for 22 years. God love her. Uh, she married a wild child, and I've joked that she wrote the book on raising a boy into a man-child. Um, she's transitioning. I am blessed to be able to provide for our family. She's never technically had to work. Um, currently with me, I'm putting in about 70 hours in Springfield, about 10 hours on the road every week right now. She is at home with the children. Uh, Macy just went back to school and is just knocking it out of the park. 
that's because of Lindsay. She's been homeschooling Macy for the last six years or so, and the fruits of Lindsay's teachings are showing. My son Chase is getting ready to go back to school, and we think he's a little bit smarter than Macy, but he also started being homeschooled in second grade, so he's a little tighter with mom, and mom's a little tighter with him. Well, Lindsay just got an opportunity to go back to work. It just kind of fell into her lap. A friend called, wants her to work with them. You know, couldn't have been a better situation. That's, I can't imagine for Lindsay. Never technically having to work to support the family. Always been able to be at home by choice with both of us. And now she's stepping back into the work world. But what also does that mean? Her kids don't need her as much as they did. And that's tough. She had a small breakdown the other day, feeling like she was abandoning our children. She's transitioning into that moment that, um, you know, I, I can't, I've always been the worker. She hasn't. So she's got a lot going on in her mind. Um, she might talk uh, second service. She's not much of a talker. But um, I couldn't be proud of her uh, for how she's seamlessly going into this. But then together is the one I'm excited about. For myself and Lindsay, eagerly evolving. We're at a moment in our life where we can go to the grocery store without our kids in the back seat. We, we've been making it a, a point each week when I come home to go to breakfast together at BB Coffee Lab. We just go sit down and talk. We're having fun. Um, although I'm working more than I ever have, the maturity in our relationship of 22 years, I've been with her more than half of my life, um, we just go with it. And so the changes, the ebb, ebb and flows of life, we're just like, well, what's next? We're not freaking out like we used to. If, we, if we're a little short in the bank account, we're like, okay. You know, where before, I've, I've mellowed, but before I'd call 30 people and try to find out if I could do a side job, and I need money, and I just, ah. No, we just, we just go with it now. And I think a lot of that boils down to our faith. We've never gone without. And as long as I lean on Christ and the faith that he knows what's next, Everything's going to be all right. So, so that's it. We're just enjoying it. We have some tears. Uh, we have some laughs. But we're enjoying this process going forward, and that's the season of life we're in. So thank you. All right. Today is a special day. It's a layman service. When I was a kid, we did these a lot more often at the churches that we went to. Uh, but today you got to hear from a few people that maybe you normally don't get to. It's good for us. It's good for us in life. I think one of the most important things that we can do is to listen. And no matter if you're in a season of life as a single person or if you're in a season of life as a couple, those seasons of life come with great transition sometimes. Sometimes it's a subtle approach Sometimes you pick something up one day and the next day you hurt your back doing the same thing. I was pulling some garden hoses last year as I was preparing for the Easter walk and my back was bad for a whole week. Just pulling, pulling a garden hose. Uh, but there's a lot of memories uh, in my head down through the years, these transitions. I'm going to take care of the last part of this, but I'm going to highlight Bob Rapold today uh, as the start. I've got some really humorous things in my message today. Most of the time when I preach, I'm real serious uh, today we'll kind of have a mixture of both of those things, but uh, 
Bob, Bob likes to eat lunch, and it depends on where he's working, kind of where he stops to eat lunch. We've ate all over the place, and Bob's back there thinking, oh, gosh, a couple of these lunch things I can talk about, Bob, and a couple of them I can't. So uh, this will be one I can. We were sitting at a, uh, at a Chinese restaurant, and I opened my cookie and started to read my fortune, and Bob said, do you know, do you know the trick? And I'm like, no, I don't know the trick. He said, no matter what it says, just say in bed at the end. You know, so I read my fortune, and then I, we've been doing that for years. I mean, just guys really never grow up, girls. They don't. They just get older. We, I mean, honestly, we really don't. We're just a big boy. That's what we are. But that process of the fortune cookie is spilled over in other areas of my life. When, when Clay asked me for advice, he usually accepts it for about the first few minutes, and he said, you're getting ready to go fortune cookie on me, Dad. You know, I, these, some of these statements we say is, as dads are kind of viewed by our kids as a fortune cookie. But what is our fortune? You know, when you look back on the seasons of your life, the years, would you have ever imagined some of the things that you've experienced as a single person, as a couple, as a son or daughter, as a parent? There are some highlights in the last 47 years of my life. And it's strange, some of the most insignificant moments at the time have been some of the most significant transitions in my life. Still to this day, <clears throat> Ben Kingston walking into that living room right after my brother killed himself and just sitting down on the floor with me and playing cars with me is still, as silly as that sounds, still one of the most significant moments in my life. When Fern Reed, bless her little general's heart, boy, she was a grouchy lady. <laughs> bless her heart. She had such a good heart, but boy, she had a tough way of saying it. I mean, she would get on to you. She came upstairs. I was in the middle of teaching Sunday school, and she said, Brad, Clay's hurt in the basement. you got to go down there. I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's fallen down and skinned his knee. And when I got into the sanctuary, the looks on everybody's faces was like, and I was like, well, this is more than a scrape on the knee. I get downstairs, and there's Clay, literally. But I felt like he was dying in front of me. I mean, it was bad. It was a bad scene. And the two people in the room that was supposed to give me some type of hope and comfort, Don Cresilius and, uh, and Gavin Hooks, I looked at them and said, what, what's happening here? And they just both shook their head. I'm like, you know. So I, I stood up. I mean, I... I still can remember that moment. I stood up in a Sunday school class downstairs and asked God to take my son. I didn't want to see him suffer. I literally thought he was dying in front of me. I remember the moment, the first time as a married couple, that I left my wife behind and went on a trip by myself. I was going down the escalator in St. Louis, headed to Bolivia, and I was wondering for the first time in life, would I ever see her again? had no idea what was in front of me. And as I went down underneath that little thing at the airport, the, the escalator, the concrete, and just watched her face disappear, I thought, God, please help. Help this not to be the last time that I see her face. Help me to get home. Help me to enjoy the trip. But when I got home, you know, the strangest thing happened. My kids looked like they'd grown a foot. Have you ever been gone for a while? You get home, you're like, you just don't notice the sudden adjustments sometimes in life. If I was to ask this broad question, what would be some of your responses? You can say them out loud. Feel free. 
What would you say are the biggest threats to marriages? Just say it out loud if you've got a response. What are the biggest threats to marriages? Okay, no communication. All right, very good, Thomas. All right, lack of communication. Anybody else want to venture out? Selfishness. Who said that? Mrs. Wagner, thank you. So just, just plain old selfishness. You just want what you want, and you want it now. Anybody else? Too many worldly distractions. Okay. All right, not focused on each other. Boy, it's easy to get distracted, for sure, with life, with hobbies, with friends. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, that's a common one we hear, right? Just things aren't very good. The checkbook's not very good. And boy, if I just, if I went somewhere else, it may get better. My uncle one time at the auto repair store at Highway 40 and 37 up there, I went in to get my car fixed. He said, Brad, you know why divorce is so expensive? And I said, no, Uncle Bob. He said, because it's worth it. <laughs> and I looked at him. He's been married for like 40 years. I said, Bob, what are you talking about? You've been married the whole, you know, your whole life. What he said, it's just a joke, Brad. It's just a joke. Boy, hardly anything further from the truth. But finances a lot of times can impact a marriage, for sure. It creates stressors sometimes, insecurities. Can we make it? Can we do it? Today we're going to look at this idea. It's strange. Don't murder your marriage. Don't murder your marriage. Many times... A healthy marriage or healthy relationships in general will depend more on the Sermon on the Mount than the passion of the Song of Solomon. Think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. A healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, many times depends a lot more on the Sermon on the Mount than it does the passions of the Song of Solomon. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to look at just for a moment today on this idea of don't murder your marriage. And you'll find out with what. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says this, Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And then verse 21 and 22, it says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Rock, and it goes through a couple of these illustrations, but the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. At one time, I had every one of these me memorized, every verse in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I could say it by memory. Now, I only got the first part of chapter 5 and the last part of chapter 7 and a little of chapter 6 left in my brain. But the Sermon on the Mount was a powerful moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. And these things that you see in the first part of chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the, the pure in heart, blessed are those peacemakers that we're going to highlight today, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If a relationship would focus on the Beatitudes, they would be a lot healthier. Think of the times, the situations you just called out. Opportunities that we could be merciful or meek or mourn 
or communicate or being pure in heart. She dealt with selfishness or just not getting what we want from the other person, feeling persecuted or belittled. Don't murder your marriage. There are many dangers to marriage, but we should never overlook the danger of anger. Rarely does it get brought up when we talk about the dangers of marriage, but it is one of the greatest dangers of any relationship. Think of a relationship that you've lost down through the years. And then tell me anger didn't have a part of that. Almost every relationship I've ever lost in my life has been based on anger. One way or the other. Either I got mad or they got mad or we both got mad. And things, things change. Don't allow anger to dominate whatever season of life that you're in right now. When I look across the crowd, I've got great examples of people that have made it together or made it by themselves. When I think of somebody that's made it by themselves, who comes to mind but Diane Burnett? You ever seen her angry? Very rarely. She can get angry. She can't. How about Joanne Burnett? You ever seen her angry? I saw Fern Reed get angry quite a few times at me. <laughs> when, when I first got married, Miss Elizabeth Brun, she was so grouchy. I mean, bless her heart, she was so grouchy. She had just gotten to the nursing home. She'd come home for a visit, and I was up in the front. And, and we had been married for about four years or so. And Miss Elizabeth, the only thing that she could get out of her mouth that was positive that day was, Brad, you're getting fat. <laughs> And I just looked at her and smiled and said, good to see you, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> anger, unrighteous anger, should always be viewed as an unwelcome guest. You ever been at the house all together as a family and there's a knock at the door and you know who it is and you don't want to go answer? Have you ever been in your home and not answered the door on purpose? I've done it tons of times. Anger should always be viewed as an unwelcome guest. One who most times is better left unanswered like a doorbell when you're all home. When I think back on the last 47 years of my life, most of the worst moments of my life have been in opportunities of anger. The only hall of shame moment I ever had inside of a gymnasium when my two boys were playing sports. Now, I've watched other Hall of Shame moments, different coaches and dads in the stands, but I was always fairly reserved in the stands. But I lost it one day in Washington Gymnasium, and now about three or four times a year while I'm announcing that official that I literally just, I just embarrassed myself was what it was. I get to see him, and we get to talk to each other again. But if we could just recognize properly the danger of anger, our relationships would be healthier no matter what season of life we're in. When the fire of anger, number two, 
when the fire of anger ignites, don't leave it untended. I built a lot of fires. Some of you guys have had to rebuild things after I've started fires. I burnt the Easter walk down one year. Remember that? I don't even know how I did that, honestly. I still don't. I sat there and sat there and waited and waited and made sure there wasn't any heat in the fire. And I didn't put water on it and walked away thinking, a good conscience, that thing's, there's no way. Next thing I know, the fire department, Ben's calling, the church is on fire, the church is on fire. Wait a minute, what? He said, was you out there burning? I said, well, yeah, but I was w- way up in the woods. He said, the whole place is on fire. I'm like, what? You know, a fire starts with just a spark, but if left untended, boy, can it destroy. Look at verses 23 and 24 of this chapter 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Today, what does the fortune cookie have to do with today's message? If we would just insert marriage every time the scriptures say brother or sister, it applies. That core relationship as a marriage is only second to our relationship with God. He said to love him and then do what? Love others as ourselves. So this principle here of leaving a fire to itself against a brother is just as accurately applied to a marriage. When a fire of anger ignites, and it's going to happen, if you guys haven't gotten mad at each other, you just simply haven't gotten off the honeymoon yet. Sometimes it happens on the honeymoon. Boy, we had an absolute knockout drag out on the honeymoon when we ran out of money. It was me. I was mad. I, I got together everything I could get together. I don't know if we took six or 700 bucks, but I can tell you this, the last three days in Branson was chicken strip baskets at Dairy Queen. And I'm not talking about just one meal, lunch and dinner. We were there at five bucks, splitting the chicken strips up. We were just totally broke. Staying at that dumpy hotel there on the strip that has that water park with it. What a hole. I mean, you're with my brand new wife. I mean, you guys, you know some of the places you guys have stayed at. They're holes. My wife's too classy for that kind of place. I took her camping one time. We got everything set up. I got the tent up. And my wife looks at me and says, where's the bathroom? I said, babe, you're just going to have to lean against the truck. That was the only time we have ever been camping. You ask my wife what her idea of camping is, she'll tell you. The Hilton. The Hilton. Boy, we've had some fights. We really have. Over the stupidest stuff. Because we were unwilling to tend the fire. It started, it ignited, and then we just kind of let it rage. Do offenses consistently and quickly get dealt with in your marriage or relationships? Do you quickly admit when you're wrong? This is part of tending a fire. Do you still willingly forgive? Unresolved anger is like a window in your house with a bad view. It's best to cover it with the curtains of forgiveness. Staring at a bad view can make us contemplate a move that we shouldn't make. 
like a bad view. You got that window in your house that nobody likes to look out. What do you do, ladies? You cover it with a blind or a curtain. In our house, when we were kids, I was just begging God for mom not to buy another mini blind. She's one of those women that washes those things. I just throw them away. They cost eight bucks. Once they get dusty, you just take it off. The little frame things are still up there. Those little, you pull the blind off, throw it in the trash, and get you another one the same size. I mean, it's like a two-minute change. It takes a half an hour to wash a plastic blind. Mom, why, for goodness sake, are we washing the blinds? Untended anger. It's like a window with a bad view in your house. It's really just best to cover it with a curtain of forgiveness than to stare too long and contemplate a move that you'll regret. When I look at marriages and relationships in general that have stood the test of time, there's always epic stories of forgiveness, interwoven in fits of rage. There's still a hole in the wall in my house, my dining room. I'm going to fix it, but there's a hole in my wall. And I've left it there for almost 15 years on purpose. Every time I walk past that hole in the wall, I think, you are such an idiot, Brad. You ogre. Guess what I put the hole in the wall for? Yes, just, I mean, in your wildest, I'm not going to even ask for a response because it's so stupid. The internet wasn't working. No lie. I hit the wall like that. <laughs> I was so mad that the internet wouldn't work. Oh, come on! I've left it unfixed. I fixed the other wall. It's got some new drywall there where I've remodeled a little. But that hole's getting ready to get fixed in the next year or two when I remodel the kitchen. But I think I might just cut that hunk of drywall out and frame it. And stick it on my wall at the house. Boy. Boy, we've had some stupid fights. Untended anger. Number three, many times, listen to this, many times agreeing with your spouse about a disagreement early on is both the best strategy and has the fewest consequences. Just agree. Right off the bat, honey, you didn't, you're right. Babe, you didn't, you're right. Babe, I can't believe you said that I shouldn't have. Babe, you weren't there when I, I know. Babe, you shouldn't have left me. I know. You're right. Many times, agreeing with your spouse about a disagreement early on is both the best strategy and has the fewest consequences. Look at verse 25 and 26, and we'll be done. We'll get ready to go for today. Agree with your adversary quickly. Just fortune cookie, insert marriage. Agree with your husband or wife or close friend if you're not in a marriage, that relationship. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with them, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. What's the best strategy here? Right up front. Just try and make it work. Agree. Just get it out. The judge hand you over to the officer so that you're thrown into prison. Here's the progression. Because you were unwilling to quickly make, a, make an adjustment, now you're in front of the judge, and now the judge gives a, Now you end up in jail, and look what happens at the end. Surely I say to you, 
you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Think of the knockout dragouts that you've had in your relationships. Most of them would have been resolved much sooner and with a lot less consequences if there would have just been early agreement. Prolonged fits of anger are like an unflushed toilet. Ladies, now honestly, this is the worst thing. I mean, you get in the house, maybe you've been to work, maybe you've been to the store, and your man, your knight in shining armor, your brilliant husband, has left something in the toilet and unflushed. And it doesn't have to be number two. Your instinct's just as bad. You leave it in there, and you walk in, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Either the dog's pooped the box, or, or Brad's been home. I mean, that's what my wife says a lot of times. What, what happened? What is, what is that? Prolonged fits of anger are like an unflushed toilet. It just keeps on stinking <laughs> till it's flushed away. It's true. If we would just early on make things right and get rid of it through forgiveness, it would not stink near as bad. I've used three cheesy illustrations because all of us have opened up a fortune cookie and got one of those dumb ones. And you think, well, this don't really apply. But all three of these things apply at some level, no matter what season you're in right now. Could we not all do a little bit better job this next week at making an adjustment quickly with anger? Whether we're the ones that are having trouble with anger or we're the ones that it's getting directed towards. Don't murder your marriage. I love that sound. Listen. Ah, ah, sound like me and Shannon, first two or three years of marriage. Ah, 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 ah. Thank goodness we didn't live in town. Good grief. I've tried to be a little bit light today, but boy, what a serious topic. Anger. Don't murder your marriage. No matter what season of life you find yourself in today, we should all practice and learn the art of quick forgiveness. Let's stand. All right, I'm going to stomp on all of our toes before the invitation. When's the last time these words have come out of your mouth? I'm sorry. We force our kids to do it sometimes, even when they don't want to. Sometimes you've got to force yourself. But it's good for you. This week, let's practice the art of saying I'm sorry early on in the situation so we don't murder our relationships, our marriage. Lord, thank you today for this opportunity. I, I, I have no idea, God, what you went through on the cross to forgive us. But it's always a good day to die, to take up our cross and follow you. I pray as we start this new week, I pray, God, that you would help us to not allow anger to murder our relationships. God, help us 
no matter what season of life we're in right now, to be forgiving and merciful, to be a peacemaker, to be pure of heart. Lord, work in our hearts in this invitation in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.